Welcome to the Lentil Intervention Podcast, talking all things movement, whole food nutrition and environmental wellness with your hosts, Ben and Emma. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 2's Episode 16. Uh, we're really getting on now. Uh, my name is Ben Adelberg and joined by my co-host, Emma Strutt. Hello, Emma. Hello, Ben. How are you today? Very good. Thank you. Now, Today's chat is bound to be a fascinating one, uh, following on from last week's chat with Ryan Alexander on No Meat May and a few points on why uh, we have this obsession with eating meat. We're certainly going to deep dive into those today, so strap yourself in and uh, yeah, be prepared for what we think is going to be a fascinating conversation here. Now, before I carry on, uh, firstly, if you enjoy these episodes, uh, please do subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes as well as share it with as many people as you can. And also, if you do enjoy the content that we create, we would love some support to enable us to do more uh, in the future. So please do consider buying us a coffee. Emma? Who are we chatting to today? Okay. We are very fortunate to have Dr. Deanna Bogiva joining us today. Deanna is a research associate and adjunct fellow at Curtin University, where she also completed her fascinating PhD, looking at potential to influence meat consumption through social marketing. More recently, Deanna has taken on the role of Centre Manager at the Centre for Advanced Food Engenomics at the University of Sydney. Thank you so much for joining us today, Diana. This should be a fascinating conversation. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure being with you today. Diana, so much to talk about, but as we do with all our guests, we'd like to first learn a little bit about themselves. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal background and journey uh, from professional, professional journalism to the work that you do? Uh, so I'm originally from Bulgaria. Maybe many of your listeners, uh, they don't know about Bulgaria because it's a small country in Eastern Europe. Uh, but uh, I started my uh, journalistic journey there being a um, professional journalist, radio journalist uh, in Bulgarian national radio, uh, presenting the morning uh, main talk show, which was a four hours live program. Uh, starting from 6 till 10 o'clock in the morning. And I was the main editor of uh, the Bulgarian main, another talk show, which was more politically and more economically um, kind of uh, based show, which was uh, every Sunday, 150 minutes show. This is what uh, they call it, uh, Sunday, 150 minutes. So my journey uh, coming in Australia is uh, different. First, uh, learning language, uh, trying to get back to my profession and follow my passion. So basically, I was uh, pursuing uh, some like um, study in marketing and communication after that uh, because uh, I needed to utilize some of my good journalistic skills. Uh, asking questions <laughs> so uh, and basically uh, this is a uh, very kind of uh, smoothly transitioning toward my academic journey as well um, because it's kind of um, maybe incredible for me but uh, very simple um, because um, uh, I'm still having the opportunity to utilize my previously gained skills um, and um, in the best possible way 
to leverage on these skills. I'm still uh, interviewing people. I'm working with SBS and also uh, I develop uh, through my maybe investigative journalism skills, uh, my academic researching skills because we are investigating issues. Particular for me is uh, my interest in uh, meat consumption reduction, novel alternative proteins and future food technologies, uh, consumer behavior change, uh, social marketing and sustainability. All of these are like uh, something that uh, is, is many things actually that I'm passionate about it. And is that to do with a personal journey yourself, a personal interest? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm vegetarian myself. I wasn't vegetarian uh, back in Bulgaria, uh, but I wasn't um, keen on meat anyway, because uh, for me, like eating meat wasn't a passion, never was. I was uh, very keen on fruit and vegetables. And uh, if you have uh, something that is more fruity and vegetable based, I will say I'll go for it than meat. But yeah, this is this is me. So everybody yeah. is different, and everybody has different journey with food and different relationship with food. Absolutely, yeah. Now you're a very busy lady. You wear a lot of different hats. Um, you know, you work at SBS, Curtin University, but now um, tell us a little bit about the Center for Advanced Food and Genomics. Maybe for our listeners, first explain what Engenomics is and what the main objectives of this new role are for you. So first to start, in genomics is a mixture between engineering and omics, so create something uh, like a science and things, but but now we are changing the name to uh, advanced food engineering, so soon uh, there will be like not uh, need to explain what genomics is because everybody is asking what it is. So basically, um, I started with uh, this center because um, I'm passionate about consumer perceptions, particularly uh, in alternative foods. And uh, this center is actually creating plant-based meats. And this is how I started. I wanted to uh, contribute toward uh, investigating the perception of Australian consumers toward uh, the alternative proteins. And uh, they're not only doing plant-based meat, they are looking at cell agriculture and other alternatives related to algae and insects, uh, cells uh, to produce different things and also nutraceutical, all fascinating and interesting things that uh, uh, I think that they're the future of food and so we have to look at all of this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I've read through your PhD thesis a couple times now, and I just think your work is so fascinating, and it's a really important angle to cover. Uh, not many people are doing this at the moment, so it's fantastic. Um, I'm looking forward to kind of fleshing this out with you in more detail. Um, oh, no pun intended there. Um, but for the listeners who haven't heard Ben and I and previous guests kind of rant on about this issue before, let's just briefly kind of set the scene, would you be able to give us a quick overview of how meat consumption actually contributes to, um, firstly, let's talk about climate change and environmental degradation and, and what the issue is there? Oh, this is a huge thing uh, because uh, actually meat consumption, uh, many people, they don't know because um, I've done like in the last five years, uh, like uh, researching among different generations. And uh, 
maybe I can say like 30% of people knows uh, that uh, actually their diets is contributing also taking a huge part toward the environmental degradation because of the release of the greenhouse gas emissions, particularly like red meat, uh, cow, sorry, are having their <laughs> natural things that they do. Uh, and uh, also the land that we uh, used to raise animals and um, and uh, uh, the water that we use and uh, the, the the pollution that we did on the air and the water and uh, also the zoonoses that are created by uh, raising these animals. Um, so it's like the global demand of animal-based food products uh, is um, really growing exponentially across the world. And um, actually, uh, many people uh, are consciously consuming uh, their uh, protein-rich diets. Uh, they, they don't realize that they're harming the environment. They think that this is uh, something normal. This is uh, something that uh, they're taking for granted. And now the bad thing is that all the developing world is uh, going toward our steps, like following our steps. Uh, over the past, uh, actually, 50 years, uh, meat production, um, what to say, it's quadrupled, actually, mm -hmm. what was 50 years uh, ago. Uh, the world now produces uh, more than um, 350 uh, million tons each year of meat to satisfy our demand for meat, which is uh, more than... Um, uh, four times the quantity of meat that we used to produce 50 years ago. And this demand is uh, particularly driven um, of uh, our love for meat. And this love for meat is actually, um, maybe we can talk uh, after that because you mentioned my uh, PhD. This love for meat is actually very, very much um, deeply rooted into our traditions, into the way that we were raised, the way we were taught to, that what is good for us to eat and what is not good for us to eat, like everybody was like, eat your meat. Like I have many friends that I'm visiting and they always said, oh, you haven't eaten the meat. So if there is no meat at the table, especially in some countries, like back in Bulgaria, uh, meat is kind of a prestige, a luxury food. You have to have it when you have guests because this way you show your respect toward guests. And, and the same thing I can see in Australia uh, because uh, here when they invite, like Australians invited uh, you at their place, they always have meat for you, uh, which will be barbecue particularly, but uh, like... Uh, Meat is actually very important, social, cultural, as well as nutritional function. Um, uh, it is uh, not only a function of eating habits, as I mentioned, but uh, it's also a, a function of uh, social identity, of history of personal relationships um, uh, related to some established uh, cultural societal perceptions and maybe also function of some uh, misinformation uh, or even advertising manipulation um, or maybe even related to what uh, the livestock industries uh, you know are influencing us to have our particular personal food choices and and actually all of this is so 
so big and so pervasive and persuasive and actually shape our consumer values, behavior, and even uh, self-esteem in men <laughs> particularly, and helps actually enhance some traits uh, like uh, uh, their masculinity, virility, human hegemony, power, because they eat meat. Uh, and in many societies, actually, this consumption is, uh, is still very uh, prominent and very viable, and they're following it anywhere and with, with every single day and every single event they do, everything. Now... <laughs> There's so, so I'm much. I'm not sure if I was, uh, if I was, no, you know, look, kind the... of, I tried to concentrate to, to explain everything. But... It's such a broad topic and there's so much I want yeah. to question and even challenge and... in some respect. But yeah. just, just to finish off, on, I guess, the bigger picture, when we talk about environmental impacts, there's also the health impact. And you've, and you've, you've touched on that a little bit about, you know, especially with the masculinity, you need that for virility, you need that for, I guess, an image to portray. But... There is so much science now that shows the the ill health effects of consuming such a high meat diet, and it's available and it's out there. And there's a lot of there's a lot of books available. And I'm actually holding one now, which I'll refer to shortly. But why, with all that information, is that still such a prominent thing to have? Okay, so a lot of consumers may not realize directly the impact it has on the environment, even though there's now documentaries showing that. But there's also a lot of documentaries and there's a lot of people, there's our podcast among so many others that talk about the ill health effects of consuming so much meat. Why then is that still not, you know, why is that being ignored in a, in a large respect? People just love the taste of meat. They love the, the smell of it. They love the, the, the texture and everything. Yeah, it's it's not black and white, is it? I mean, yeah. with with food, um, there's a multitude of factors that kind of motivate people for consuming what they consume. So there are some unicorns out there that will look at the science and go, "Oh, okay, it doesn't make sense to eat meat anymore. I'm not going to." But like a lot of people, this is wrapped up in tradition and their culture, uh, religion. Like, okay, so we 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 mentioned tradition, culture here. So I I want to put forward a, a bit of a challenge here. The the high consumption of meat. And, and I'm here to be corrected, has not been a prominent thing for more than a century. So why is it so embedded in culture? I get the, the you know, hunting, coming back to the village. Yes, you succeeded. Well done. But, you know, meat was consumed as a, as a precious commodity. You know, it was used for, and from what I've read, celebratory meals and so on. You, you look at the blue zone areas, well studied. These these are society or pockets of societies that have lived for centuries with very small consumption of meat. So, has it truly been embedded in culture for so long? This insatiating appetite for meat in Western culture, yes. In other cultures, there's still nations that are not consuming meat at all. And there are nations like Eskimo, they're still thriving on meat. The Inuits, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so uh, consumer actually behavior is um, uh, influenced not only by traditions, but uh, also and probably some of them are related to culture and religion and uh, other things like uh, Indians are not consuming meat. Uh, they have four kilograms per 
per probably per year per person compared to Australians who are having 100 kilograms per year per person and Americans, which is similar, uh, and Argentinians, which have similar quantities of meat consumed. So um, some of them, like uh, with uh, Indians, is related to culture and religion. But also in the Western society is predominantly, I think, uh, as you said, uh, is, is something that wasn't traditionally like back back at the time because hunter-gatherers were having meat, they were killing an animal, they were uh, feasting on this animal, and after that, for a long period of time, there wasn't meat. So they needed to have to gather some fruit, veggies, some berries and uh, roots and to survive till they kill the next animal. And they feast on it again and the same cycle repeated. But... Uh, but actually, um, after the domesticating of the animals, the idea of meat and having meat constantly became a prominent thing for us human. And especially in the Western society where consumer behavior also influenced by myth that, uh, uh, you know, they are kind of incorporated in any aspects of their life. And this produces uh, basically a variety of uh, conscious and unconscious responses uh, and decisions. Um, um, uh, and uh, this uh, actually uh, decisions are influenced by marketing who often contributes uh, to the establishing and the reaffirming of these myths and encourage certain actions uh, that become part of uh, accepted uh, part of life, uh, they are normalizing, they become uh, um, kind of a normal behavior. So this is how meat is also um, kind of uh, influenced uh, as part of our culture and our tradition through this uh, marketing meat. Consumer may think that advertising is harmless and uh, maybe appealing to only some people, but actually it's appealing to everyone, even if uh, unconscious appealing. Um, marketing meets impact uh, human health, social uh, well-being and the natural environment. Uh, uh, in relation to meat, uh, maybe um, there are several popular uh, meat meats uh, um, which are created and exploited for years now uh, by the marketing. Uh, and uh, they're like, uh, we were meant to eat meat, uh, meat is good for you, uh, especially real men eat meat, uh, uh, meat is a part of our culture, meat is affordable because we have it for granted, it's everywhere, uh, we can buy it, uh, organic meat is much better or, or less better or all of these things, they're, they're not limited to this, they're, they're creating this meat meats and uh, every single day and they're increasing them uh, and uh, actually uh, the clutter of messages that the consumer are receiving daily is so big so we can't uh, even stop it to comprehend it so it's un unconsciously so we just uh, kind of uh, take it and uh, and, and not for it. and not forgetting another form of of advertising is um fair diets like the Atkins, the South Beach, yeah. the Paleo, the Keto, and so yeah, on. I mean, absolutely. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're full with animal-based uh, products. 
and they're yeah. still popular and many people are following it and uh, having uh, beautiful results of uh, you know for their body images and uh, uh, like uh, weight loss uh, programs and whatever they want to pursue too so all of this is uh, contributing actually yeah well i mean you've only got to look at the australia day lamb ads here to just understand how ingrained this marketing message becomes in our society uh, it's a bit scary um, yeah, but it is. Even the last, uh, the last uh, lamp uh, ad uh, incorporated with uh, COVID social distancing. They were having walls and lamp chops sticking out of the wall. And still, you know, like uh, lamp chops is breaking the barriers and uniting people. So it's kind of very, very prominent, especially in the heart of the Aussie culture. Yeah. Um, now, you've done some really cool research around uh, meat intake and perceptions of masculinity as well. So let's unpack this, you know, this real men eat meat concept. Um, I've had pushback from men, sorry, Ben, more times than I care to remember. And I've been told on multiple occasions that, you know, eating plants is for girls. Um, is Clearly, I'm not of... a man then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. For you're a sensitive new age guy, Ben. You're a snag. Um, is this is this kind of mentality still centre stage in Aussie male culture? Are we starting to see a shift here? Is there kind of more awareness starting to trickle in about personal and planetary health now, or are we kind of still fighting against uh, that? Actually, actually, this is uh, among the younger generation, uh, uh, millennials and centennials predominantly, but because uh, uh, you touch it on. Um, on the Eat Lancet, uh, so, uh, and, and I probably missed to say this, but uh, actually there are many challenges that uh, uh, we are facing right now with our food production system. And we know that uh, we have a growing population uh, which is actually um, going to, to reach probably close to 10 billion by 2050, as uh, scientists predict. Uh, and, and we can't continue increase uh, our land use uh, because we don't have a second planet to populate. Uh, so we need to grow more from less. Uh, and uh, and uh, we uh, have not only the growing population, but uh, we need probably 70% more food, which is a big challenge. Uh, and uh, as you mentioned, the uh, Eat Lancet uh, plantary health diet, I'm sure that uh, your listeners um, heard a lot about it. Uh, this is actually a, a solution um, for changing the attitudes of people towards uh, our food system and uh, to look at uh, their diet, individual diet. Uh, this is um, uh, because, because not everyone in this earth is eating the same amount like Aussie eats. Uh, like in sub-Saharan Africa, um, they have uh, 10% of what we eat. And they're very dependent on starchy vegetables and now a type of food um, uh, that are available over there, not red meat like we have this availability. But we also, plus the red meat, we also uh, nourish ourselves in um, the starchy vegetables. We have lots of potatoes and lots of stuff and things. And we also uh, nourish in other types of animal proteins, lots of cheeses and milks and whatever. Uh, and we uh, have uh, less intakes of fruit and vegetables, legumes and whole grains. So the, the proposed it Lancet planetary health diet, uh, um, it's actually um, full of these uh, missing fruit and vegetables and legumes and whole grains. 
and it's recommended we to reduce the amount of meat we eat uh, by 84% less meat and increase other protein sources like beans and lentils and significantly like six times more. And um, plus this, we can we can even uh, include the novel food alternatives uh, like uh, the plant-based proteins uh, we have already consumed and uh, and algae, seaweed, insect proteins and uh, cultured meat or cellular agriculture, which are, for me are going to to play a big role in our future food system. But to go back to the um, masculinity, so uh, actually uh, these men, they love their meat and they're not going to eat insect, they're not going to eat cultured meat <laughs> because, because this was a, a, a kind of uh, what I found in my research. So men can't put a, a cricket on a barbie, even we have a Paul Hogan advertisement of uh, put a shrimp on a barbie, you know, they can't put it because it's not masculine enough. So they can't go and eat a uh, vegetarian burger because it's not masculine enough. Uh, but I will tell you that uh, uh, this is changing a bit. Um, and this is based on a research that I'm doing right now about uh, how uh, Masculine men are visiting vegan restaurants with their uh, girlfriends and uh, have to eat uh, a burger, which is plant-based burger, but a burger, because uh, otherwise will be damaging their masculinity. So it's uh, it's changing, definitely yeah. changing. I mean, the biggest irony about masculinity and, and the biggest thing about masculinity, and this was well portrayed in the documentary, The Game Changers. Yeah. when they looked at erectile dys dysfunction. And the irony is, as you consume all that heavy meat-based diet, that's actually going to affect it. So what's more demeaning in terms of ruining one's masculinity than that? And and that's that's the irony. Uh, but you talk about change. You know, what sports depict so much masculinity? You know, these big contact sports, rugby, rugby league, American football – and there are some prominent players turning to plant-based ways of eating. So, like you say, there is a change, yeah. but that change is very small, isn't it? Yeah, the change is very small and will be small until uh, something uh, big happens. And this could happen only among the younger generation, Gen Z. Uh, so, in my opinion, to go back to masculinity, in my opinion, masculinity is not a biological characteristic because uh, not every single man is masculine, full with uh, this uh, Nike of Hercules body image or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, some of them are tiny and, uh, you know, uh, different looking. But I think it's invented category by the marketing. Media advertising and marketing thrive on masculinity to promote it uh, uh, heavily. And actually, to, this is reflecting the reality of society. You said uh, all of this uh, uh, kind of uh, very uh, masculine, macho uh, rugby players and all of this. And also you can see in the social media, all of these images are portrayed everywhere. Uh, showing masculine role model, uh, it's actually what is creating these male stereotypes. And uh, plus... You can see in the advertisement, they're always with meat in their hands. So it's uh, it's something that is on and on and on and on 
going year after year and is not going to change because this is a norm and a way for society to exert pressure on men's uh, food selection to communicate their masculinity. Yeah. So, I mean, if marketing has kind of perpetuated this uh, perception that we have of masculinity now, this might be a really difficult question to answer, but how do we cultivate a shift towards, you know, new masculine values that do incorporate sustainability and, and health? Or do we just have to wait for this new generation to come through and start Yeah, I, ca- I can't change? keep running 100-mile ultramarathons <laughs> to prove that you don't need meat. So <laughs> what else can we do to show that we don't need meat? <laughs> okay, so, uh, so it, it's difficult because uh, uh, the shift will come uh, through the younger people. This is definitely because uh, they have uh, new types of masculinity in them. They're more compassionate, they care about animals, they care about the life. There are many uh, uh, like of them um, that are keen to embrace different diet. And, uh, but this could happen if this different diet that is presented to them is uh, uh, very clearly uh, transparently produced, very clearly is known what is inside. And if this is not going to be harmful for them, harmful for their health, uh, will have side effects, will have some uh, future uh, things that uh, they will come with, you know. So basically, if we want men to change towards uh, alternative to meat, uh, we have to make sure the alternative to meat we gave them is implying to to them like uh, I, I mentioned the veggie burger they go and eat the veggie burger because it's a burger the perception is there you eat the burger so this could be a step forward a new masculinity as well because they're keen to go there with their loved ones or family or girlfriend or wives and whatever and it's and please their wives which wasn't before and I think before, like the wife needed to please the man, giving him the big and uh, the best piece of meat. But that's but that's an important point because you talk about the importance of the younger generation. But what about the role that women have? And it's exactly what you're saying because one thing I'm noticing at a lot of uh, sort of workshops or expos and so on that I, I present at historically initially was 80% women attending these talks about the power of plants. But the men that would come, and now there's more of them, it's because of that their partner has brought them along. Or if men that I've spoken to, it's because the kids at home want to be plant-based, so we're going to support them, or my wife is driving that. So like you say, there is a shift as well that women are playing a bigger role as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and, And their role is going to increase uh, with years, but it's a slow process. They have to cultivate this, uh, you know, how a woman is nurturing a child to grow it. The same way the woman needs to nurture the new way of feeding <laughs> to grow and become a norm. Honestly, I don't know what men's problem is. I don't understand. It's not that hard. (laughs) It's not like with a magic stick you can change it. Like tomorrow we are all men are going to eat uh, veggies. So they need uh, a conformity. They need uh, a way to be shown that uh, this is not going to diminish their masculinity or their virility or their power or their, you know, kind of uh, being the, the main bread uh, earner or whatever, because this is not yeah. 
any longer they share. The women yeah. are also are equally bread earner. So yeah. things are changing slowly but steadily. And the same with the vegetarian trend and yeah. with the flexitarian trend, even among men. Now in Australia, we have uh, 12% uh, vegetarian and vegan. So 10% vegetarian and 2% vegan, uh, which is uh, a slow race in the last four years from 8 9% toward this 12%. So it's steadily, slowly, but steadily going toward uh, a big change that is going to occur in a country that is predominantly meat-eating country, very, very heavily and very deeply uh, culturally embedded, you mm. know, with meat country. Yeah. A conversation we've had with a past guest of ours, Professor Boyd Swinburne, spoke about the food system. And, and I think that's one of the challenges we'll continue to endure. And, and even more so is these, uh, you know, beef and lamb, dairy industries and so on, really fighting back, discrediting a lot of uh, you know scientists, people, academics, people that actually present good facts, um, and and also fighting that perception that you talk about. You know, you got to nurture that. Well, it, there's going to be that resistance of what we see externally. Um, New Zealand's the same thing. We talk about Australia. Yeah. A lot of the Western cultures. That's that's going to be one of the biggest battles is is, is fighting that. Despite. World Health Organization saying that red meat is a probable group to, to a carcinogen. We mentioned yeah. the Lancet Commission. Well, they say that red meat is unhealthy and needs to yeah. be consumed less. Yet that information, reliable, backed with good references, is being discredited. And that's the challenge. Yeah, it is a challenge. And you can see all of this uh, very kind of well-known organization and uh, everybody should rely on their guidelines and at the moment, uh, even Australia is uh, reviewing their um, uh, dietary guidelines uh, since uh, 2030. They were unreviewed, but they're reviewing it right now. So maybe we can see some changes there as well. I'll let Emma comment on that. I mean, we've just had a, a, a little review in New Zealand and it was so minor that really it didn't impact much. But, you know, Australia... Yeah, well, I'll, I'll... I mean... That that's going to be a long process too. I don't think we're going to. I think twenty twenty three, twenty twenty five potentially is when Somewhere it will actually there, yeah. be released into the world. So there's time here to try and make a difference. Yeah, but we are actually experiencing many food trends in the recent years, and uh, I told you in this increased consumption pattern towards reduction of meat uh, consumption is uh, one of these trends uh, which. Uh, uh, the emergence of these meat alternatives uh, and these uh, people that are calling them flexitarian and reducitarians and, uh, and uh, like vegan and vegetarian, we talked about them. Uh, but, uh, but actually, this trend is particularly because of health reasons. You mentioned at the beginning health reasons for, for change of diet. This is actually the main reason that people more than even environment and more than even animal welfare, health reasons will be the number one, in my um, opinion, uh, that will make people change, the consumer, to looking uh, um, the food in a different way, the food as medicine. Uh, I think that this will be uh, Australian food trend, if it's not 2021, will be 2022, definitely. Uh, you know, mark my words, I'll see what will happen. But uh, but uh, we experience uh, actually an 
unprecedented era of rapid scientific and technological advances uh, that will actually uh, really transform our um, our way uh, of uh, how we produce food and how we consume food. Uh, these um, challenges are necessary uh, because actually uh, the current way we produce uh, our food is under pressure. We talked about so the environmental uh, uh, impact uh, and um, the growing world population and things, but uh, but also now with the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, this all contributes toward the urgent need uh, to transform our food systems. Uh, and um, because we can't produce any longer, as I said, to satisfy the constantly increasing demand for meat, we have to transform our food system. And uh, this um, actually, uh, many people around the globe uh, are already changing their diets and looking toward um, actually uh, uh, toward the future of food. And this is like food alternatives available uh, because of uh, the scientific and technological advances in the latest years. Uh, I just mentioned um, um, in Australia, we see uh, this shift towards uh, more plant-based uh, foods, um, like uh, increase of uh, vegetarian and vegan, uh, this trend is actually visible. Our food-related future uh, will be really uh, fascinating and intriguing because uh, we are not uh, longer going to stick to what we know and we are going to maybe pursue some, um, uh, not only plant-based meat that we, uh, some of us are already eating it, uh, but also we can pursue rich in nutrient insects or lab-grown meat, or algae, even 3D printed food, edible food packaging, or who knows what the future food research and development will bring us. Uh, with the help of science, actually, uh, food is um, designed to have um, a specific aesthetic and the function uh, um, depending on uh, the intended use. Uh, Plant-based meat uh, that bleeds is becoming almost... Um, indistinguishable from the real meat. Uh, and we saw so many companies, startup companies that are developing this and they're trying to make it uh, look better and better. I'm not commenting on the health effect of plant-based meats, but uh, this could be something that... Uh, but, but purely from an environmental point of view. It's, but it's... from environmental is absolutely yeah. more sustainable. By yeah. replacing 50% of the beef we eat with plant-based alternatives, we can reduce our environmental footprint immensely. This is no doubt about it. Yeah. Another application actually of um, uh, food uh, biotechnology architecture uh, for transforming in improving our food supplies include cultured meats, uh, which I mentioned. Uh, based on tissue engineering techniques, uh, meat is uh, grown in a laboratory from a uh, few live animal cells. Uh, this actually uh, new uh, meat alternative. From the last uh, report that was commissioned by uh, uh, World Health Organization and um, uh, FAO, uh, uh, this was uh, they commissioned uh, actually Kinsley uh, report, and uh, based on this, uh, Kinsley predicts uh, 41% increase in 2050 of uh, cultured meat. Wow. 
Now, I know Singapore's quite uh, is leading the way with that. I think Israel as well have been releasing yeah. a lot of a lot of results on that. You were the author or co-author of a paper last year that looked at cultured meat and Australia's Generation Z. Yeah. What was the outcome of that? So uh, basically, Generation Z are not ready to eat uh, cultured meat. 72% of uh, uh, them are like opposing uh, cultured meats. And, and this is because uh, um, they are more keen to eat fruit and veggies or to know how exactly this meat was made. The transparency is a big thing for Generation Z. The more transparently produced the foods, yeah. the more likely they are to eat. This is why I mentioned before when we were talking about masculinity and changeability That's that right. uh, something needs to change like radically changed, not to, he- to have a hidden messages or, or any uh, side effects and things of food we produce and we want to fit the future. So I think this was uh, one of the main messages uh, from our research because uh, uh, cultured meat uh, could be part of the solution to feeding the world-growing population and at the same time uh, because uh, we'll be... Um, uh, like uh, cutting emission if we are using renewable energy, not uh, not fossil fuel, of course, but yeah. uh, but uh, doesn't require slaughtering of animals uh, and is uh, animal welfare friendly and also doesn't need uh, any antibiotic uh, resistance, which is uh, a big issue as well. And also have less greenhouse gas emissions, uh, depends on the renewable energy source, uh, and uh, less water, and uh, doesn't need the farmland uh, to rear the animal. So everything is in a laboratory setting. So it's uh, it's yeah. something that I think that uh, could be the future. And as Kinsley predicted, 41% is really, really huge Absolutely, yeah. The same, uh, not the same grow, but around uh, 10% uh, they predicted for plant-based alternatives to raise uh, till 2050 as well. We've been talking a lot about land, how much land is is used for beef production versus, say, legumes and so on. So just to put some numbers in perspective, and this came from, um, it's it's something I quote from quite frequently, but uh, in Oxford University in Agroscope, which is Swiss Agriculture Research Institute, they did a big study, um, 40,000 farms, 1,600 processes, and they compared high-impact beef producers create, uh, to low-impact beans, peas, and other plant-based proteins. Um, beef producers 105 kgs of CO2 equivalents for 100 grams of protein versus 0.3 kgs of co2 equivalents so it's a massive disparity there and in terms of land use 370 square meters of land per hundreds grams of beef protein versus just one square meter of land required so when we talk about the amount of land used um, and the emissions and so on it's a massive 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 gap yeah, and also uh, other stats, if you want, I haven't mentioned at the beginning, you asked me, but I was uh, distracted uh, going in another way to talk. So it's actually uh, almost 30% of the world entire ice-free surface, uh, according to the United Nations, is occupied from livestock, making uh, animal agriculture world leader in global deforestation and biodiversity loss. 
uh, half of the um, all habitable land is used for agriculture. Livestock accounts for, uh, I think, 77% of global farming land, while livestock takes uh, up uh, most of the world agricultural land. Uh, it only produces 18% of the world calories yeah. and 37% of the total protein, which is like uh, 77%. It's a hugely to... inefficient system. Yeah. Absolutely. Hugely inefficient. Yeah. yeah, not sustainable at all. Um, yeah. Now, you've um, talked a, a number of times through the conversation today about the need to kind of influence behaviour towards plant-based alternatives and options. Um, you've developed a novel social marketing model, the four S's. Could you talk yeah. us through that? Uh, so this is a sustainability social marketing model and 4S is a marketing mix, sustainability, strength, um, uh, self-confidence and sharing. And this uh, uh, can be used to influence dietary changes. We actually uh, use it uh, for influencing dietary changes in a longitudinal study. This is uh, actually now is the published uh, the results of this uh, uh, four years of longitudinal study and is going to be released uh, in a, probably next month. Ooh, exciting. Uh, so, uh, so, so basically what we did, uh, I, I, will, I will go through after that uh, the 4S marketing mix, but just uh, to, to, to tell you what we did, we um, found 30 people, male and female, so equal number of male and females, and we started uh, giving them... Um, uh, messages, different uh, messages-based campaigns, uh, and also uh, they, these messages uh, uh, campaigns involved uh, movie watching. One of them uh, was mentioned already. Uh, so, oh, the game changes. The game changer, yes. And I'm not sure how you with the advertisement. This is why I was uh, quiet about the name of the movie. It's not SBS or ABC. You can, yeah, you yeah, can... yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they will say no, no advertising. This is why. So uh, this was one of the movies that they watched in the last stage. Uh, uh, but the, before this, uh, they were watching Cowspiracy and uh, other movies. Uh, and uh, they were also provided with uh, lessons of uh, vegetarian cooking lessons in the middle of uh, this longitudinal study, just to provide them with uh, other alternatives, what they can cook, how they can cook it, just to give them a sense of uh, the variety of uh, vegetarian cooking that uh, they could enjoy. Uh, people, people don't know. This is what we realized realize by our study that uh, people, they actually don't know how to cook vegetarian meals. So it's a difficult, unknown territory totally for them. So this is something that maybe also be good uh, to contribute toward the change that we were talking before. Uh, so at the end, we had a really promising results because we had uh, all of these people, when they started, they were uh, heavy meat eaters. And at the end, uh, we ended up with uh, uh, one man that became flexitarian, uh, two men that become vegetarians, and four females that become vegetarians, which was a huge success for our longitudinal study because we were at the base, it was 30 people, and we ended up with uh, uh, seven people that changed their diets. So basically, it was very exciting for us. Uh, and uh, when it's ready, probably I will flick it to you to, to read Were it. Were health yeah. markers uh, taken? Like, you know, did, 
look at blood pressure, any blood markers, anything like that in terms of to monitor whether there's actually health benefits as well? Was anything like that? No, no, because uh, it's a social marketing based. So it yeah. wasn't anything like uh, health based, uh, like measures to be taken. But uh, but these people, they they reported that they feel like kind of enlightened. They they kind of broaden their perspective in life like they they discover something that was a completely unknown area for them. So yeah. which was uh, very, very fascinating for us to I mean, to, meat eaters, all they know is how to put meat on a fire and burn yeah. it. And that's it. I mean, <laughs> there is no cooking skill, you know, and, and that's that's potentially one of the, the hindrances because when you look at amazing plant-based dishes, it is full of colors and full of variety. But why need that when I can just put my meat on the fire and, and yeah. boil a few potatoes and that's it? And, and sadly, that's part of the Three issue. veggies. Three veggies, potato, <laughs> pumpkin, <laughs> and carrot, <laughs> or peas. Peas. Yeah. This is like tra- by tradition. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm going back to the 4S marketing mix, sustainability, strength, self-confidence, and sharing uh, that can be used for influencing dietary changes. So sustainability part of it is like a high-rate meat consumption actually destroy climate stability. We talk about this uh, uh, and also uh, damage uh, human health and threaten presence and future generations as well. Because uh, if we uh, go this way and we produce the way we produce, so we are not going to have future. We're running out of water. We're, we're killing yeah, the soil quality. And we're, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's well documented, I think. Now. Yeah. So, so this is the sustainability part of the marketing mix. First, start with realizing what is actually the damaging part of the, the shock whole factor and the shock factor and strength humans have actually the power and opportunity to reverse climate change caused by livestock and improve their health uh, and ecological impact on the planet uh, by their actions because we all have strength to change things if we see that they are not right and they need to change and they need to uh, you know, uh, uh, some kind of shift towards something that could be more beneficial for us, for the planet, for everyone. The next one, self-confidence, because we realize this strength. We have this strength. We realize it, but we need the self-confidence to do it. The action of each individual to embrace reduction in personal meat consumption matter. So if every one of our, of us decide that I have the self-confidence, I can do it, and I can change it, and I can do it for me, I think that many people will follow in their family, their kids, their uh, even parents, everybody could follow. And there are people that they're surrounding, their peers and their friends uh, and colleagues and everybody. Because if they see this person uh, like thriving and having a better health and better because the benefits of a plant-based diet is huge. It's reducing all the uh, chronic diseases and uh, non-communicable and everything that, uh, I mean, they call it non-communicable more often than chronic. So all this diabetes and cholesterol and uh, heart attacks and all of this uh, so everybody will be willing to change because people are, are you know, uh, kind of, uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, creatures of habits. 
But if they change their habits, if they have the self-confidence to change the habit, to take action, these things could change. And the last thing is sharing. The planet and its resources are limited and they are to be shared. And the most importantly, sustained for the present and future generations and no one has the right to compromise them. So we can't take everything for granted. You can't use everything that is there for us, for our generation. We have to think for our kids, grandkids, and for the generation that will come after that. So this is sustainability, strength, self-confidence, and sharing. And I think that's very relatable for a lot of us. I mean, you know, the sustainability, I read a lot. I realized, hang on, what I'm consuming is not good for my health. It's not good for my planet. The strength and the self-confidence, well, yes, I've, I've now proven to myself I can still achieve, you know, in the sporting world, achieve sort of results that you'd think can only happen with consuming meat. Um, And the sharing, well, I also take a different perspective. Here we are, we're sharing. (laughs) Um, And it also brings me to to a, um, I think it's a a proverb from an American Indian that, you know, we don't inherit the land from our past as we actually borrow it from the future. Um, And I think that's that's something that is becoming more of a reality is, well, we think that we have a right um, we're not going to leave anything and, and we're actually at serious risk that we are the generation now that we yeah. can actually deplete everything completely. And so, this is what we found from the research uh, from uh, Generation Z, cultural myths related research, uh, that actually uh, Generation Z are worries. They're they are pretty much like uh, outspoken. They are uh, like uh, environmentally aware. They uh, go and express their view. They were the strikes for climate change uh, led by Greta Thunberg and and they were leading strikes themselves and organizing. They were on the street. They, they need a change because uh, they feel a burden, something that was uh, consumed, something that was overexploited, and they need to solve it, they need to change it, they need to uh, kind of uh, restore it and making it rejuvenating again to be safe for them to live to pass it to the generation after that. So with with, uh, any alternatives that are presented, they were afraid that not to be left with the same burden to solve some issues like health issues or any other issues. So this is why they're very careful with uh, their choices. And this is why uh, we have to be very careful the way we are going to promote uh, you know, future alternatives of myths and uh, this sustainability social marketing model and the four S's, I, I hope will help a lot to realize what is best for them. So does the future look bright in your opinion? Oh, it's very hard question to answer. Uh, I think it's bright because I'm optimistic. <laughs> But I'm not sure uh, how uh, quickly we will get rid of the huge quantities of meat we consume. And, uh, uh, but, I, but I reckon that uh, the younger generation will lead the way toward more sustainable future, more plant-based future. And uh, I think that uh, we have to stick to this and embrace this. And, and kind of nurture, it, nurture them toward this. Uh, probably we are not many 
that we can nurture them and show them the way because as you said uh, uh, not many people are working on this area of uh, interest that I have but uh, but I'm optimistic I think that uh, if you have a big heart for things I think that you can give this heart to many people and uh, help them change we need to change yeah we need we need those food guidelines to change sooner we need to you know really fight back against a lot of the 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 food politics in terms of you know the discreditation that happens in in the industry misinformation misinformation there's there is a lot i mean the burden is on them but we need to help that younger generation because we're continuing down that path we've spoken a year ago now i think almost we had an interview about the immense deforestation that continues mm. to happen to this day in Queensland alone, never mind the rest of Australia. Yeah. And that's just not sustainable. It's affecting yeah. the Great Barrier Reef. It's affecting so many other elements. I mean, look at the fires we've had recently in Australia. Mm. So that change needs to accelerate without erring on the side of doomism and being, look, the world's, it's over. Um, him and I have this conversation a lot. We can find ourselves down that trap of being all depressed and it's all over. It's not. And you've said it. We have the power to change. Yeah. We just need to accelerate it. Yeah, we do. And also, uh, we don't need to be depressed because uh, I've seen so many young people that are depressed and they're uh, kind of, uh, they don't know the path. So I think that our role as their parents, because I'm a a parent of uh, two generations Z kids, so I think that we have the role to kind of show them the path away from depression and away from, uh, you know, fake uh, kind of uh, social media messages and, uh, and things that uh, deprive them to thrive because the future is different, the future is sustainable, the future is uh, uh, full of our strength, self-confidence, and we can share this with the world. Yeah, I think that's such a positive kind of message to end our conversation on. Um, I, won't, I had other talking points I wanted to dive into, but I think that's just a perfect way to kind of wrap everything up. Um, thank you so much for sharing your insight. This is a fascinating kind of a different view than a lot of people actually have, and I think it's a really essential one that more people start talking about this and start thinking about this. Um, just really quickly, actually, one more question. Any exciting projects coming up that you can share? So I share some of the projects, but uh, basically I'm working on uh, a few more. So I'm looking at uh, pig beef at the moment. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Are we reached the pig beef yet or not yet? Uh, seems uh, not yet, but uh. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, we'll be probably closer. And I'm also working on also of, uh, on another project uh, on antonymous um, uh, sensory meridian response (ASMR). I'm not sure if you know about this. Yeah. Which uh, um, uh, uh, we actually did the research among the Gen Z again. Uh, to check uh, if ASMR can be used to promote positive climate change messaging. Uh, through, uh, I'm not sure if you know what ASMR is. Isn't that when you like, like uh, the whispering? whisper? Yeah. The, yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. So these are like uh, uh, through through whispering positive climate change messages, but not doom and gloom, like uh, uh, messages that are saying uh, uh, that. Uh, 
like uh, we can reduce uh, like we can bike to school not use the the cars our parents to drive us or we can uh, reduce our consumption of meat to do this and that you can eat more veggies and fruits uh, any of these uh, positive messages or you can take uh, shorter showers instead of uh, longer instead or, of not showering <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think we all need a good lesson in that and it's how you phrase yeah. it it's how you present it to make it yeah. more attractive yeah and positive always yeah. positive yeah. because i noticed that uh, if you have negative messages like this uh, uh, that we are bombarded everywhere like it's the world will finish and uh, yeah so it's not working People, people are already depressed of the what is going on, and especially last year with COVID-19, like messages bombarding, uh, social isolation, uh, distancing, whatever things, and uh, the scare of uh, zoonotic diseases that are coming into our food and things, and people are like, I think that they need a break. They need positive messages and positive uh, way yeah. to look at things. And also another research that I'm doing is a comparison study between Australia, Germany and Japan around perception of insect as food. Oh, okay. We need to bring you back in. Uh, shall yeah. we book you in now? Um, <laughs> now, the book I did mention earlier, which I didn't actually mention what it was, uh, Proteinaholic by... Garth Davis. It's a book I read a while ago. It, it really deep dives into protein. And I'll finish off by, by um, yeah. extracting from, from this book three key things. Protein is not the key to weight loss. And we've yep. touched on that, hence its popularity. Number two, animal protein is not the healthiest food we can eat. There's other foods that give us fiber, gives us vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Vita the, vitamin B12, the most important for everyone. Which, yeah, we can't get. And then thirdly, which we didn't really touch on, but it's important to, to say as wrapping it up, is that carbohydrates are not the enemy. And I think that's the flip side of, you know, the, the protein heavy, the meat heavy is carbs is what makes us, you know, put on weight. Carbs is bad for us. It's not. It's not the enemy. We've spoken about that with many other guests. So I think those are three things we, we can finish off. But as Emma started saying, until she had to squeeze one more in, <laughs> unless she wants to squeeze a couple more. Um, yeah, yeah. Diana, this Go has been it. a fascinating conversation. It really has. As Emma said, it's it's a very uh, unique angle we've taken. And it's, it's really uh, shed a lot of really important information um uh, you know about th this whole big picture the need to eat meat and the fact that we don't and how do we change it well there's a lot of work to be done but uh, the opportunity is there so we thank you so much for coming on to the show to, uh, giving up a bit of your time and i'll say it now we look forward to having you back on in, in the near yeah. future thank you for inviting me and you can rely on me i'll continue working toward the goal <laughs> A reduction of meat consumption, dietary change, and consumer behavior change. Because I, I truly believe that this is something that is important for the planet, important for our own health, and uh, important for the future of our kids and our grandkids, and beyond them. Absolutely, I think it's very important. Perfectly said. Thank you so much, Diana. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Lentil Intervention Podcast. If you found this interesting, make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends. 